0: Welcome, Nick Mayo, to yeah. the front. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> oh, the love of my students. I appreciate it. Ooh, it's a wobbly table. All right. Uh, Holy Spirit, come. <laughs> uh, I'm really, really excited to uh, to talk to you guys tonight and to to bring uh, a follow up message to Pastor Jake's message last week on the the fatherhood of God, the father nature of God, the father's heart of God. However you want to describe this topic, it's it's really a uh, a topic that, um, as so many topics within Scripture are, is it's really inexhaustible. and it 's also something that that gets brought up quite a bit, and it tends to become kind of cliche and and we can sometimes hear a message like what Pastor Jake brought last week or the message that i 'm bringing uh, today, and we can sometimes think well i already i 've heard that, and I know that, but i I just want to challenge all of us i was I was reading a devotional that i 'm going through uh, this morning or yesterday morning, one of the two mornings, uh, my mornings just kind of blend together and the, the devotional was, a this one was an excerpt out of a book, really old book and, and it presented a very interesting topic, uh, and, and however strange this is, I'm going to present it to you here for the purpose of today in in the purpose of the prayer we're about to pray here in a second, but the author, we're talking about prayer uh, in this devotional, in this section of the devotional, and the author was talking about how interesting it would be if the saints, if us as believers, would pray our prayers as if we were going to die at the end of our prayer. Sounds a little strange, follow me here for a second. The, the author was presenting the idea that if we were to go into prayer with, with an assumption that at the end of this prayer, we may not be living and we may actually breathe our last breath, it would actually change the direction of our prayer life. And we probably wouldn't pray the types of prayers that we typically pray because if we were going to die at the end of that prayer, uh, it would start to change our focus a little bit. There'd be a little bit more of a desperation going into prayer. A little less focus on the, the daily need and a little bit more focus on the eternal destiny. And, and I found it interesting and, and a little weird when I first started going into it. But as I was kind of meditating on that, uh, I, I just started realizing, man, how true is that? That if we were to actually go into prayer with the same type of desperation as if it was going to be my last prayer before entering over to the other side of eternity... How interesting that would be and and going into, like I said, a topic to where we typically talk about this so much within the church and it becomes kind of a cliche topic of, oh yeah, the hole in our heart and it's a God-shaped hole and God's love is going to, we hear these things and we think about it as whatever we think about it as, but I really want to pause. We're going to pray here and I want you to go into this prayer and really just open yourself up for what God wants to do in you tonight make it a prayer of desperation and remove yourself from the the limited things that you're so focused on coming in here today and start thinking about the grand scheme of eternity and what God wants to do inside of us. You guys okay with that? So Heavenly Father, Papa, Daddy, just take our, our moment right now and we just turn our hearts to you. Would you just come here and meet us today and just draw us into your presence? Father, I pray that every single individual in here tonight will get a, a fresh revelation of your heart, of your nature, of your goodness, your love. I pray that we would be able to to partially comprehend the perfection that you are, the awesomeness that you are, and the epic story that you have pulled us into of being your children. God, that you would give us the 30,000 foot view to where we could start to see ourselves The people around us, the world around us, and just our everyday living from your point of view, your perspective. So, Holy Spirit, come and fill us fresh and new. And Father, we just pray for the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, that this would come alive inside of us. Jesus' name. Amen. So the the topic of the fathering nature of God has been something that that has been an interesting part of my personal journey with the Lord over the last 10 years. Where, if you don't know, part of my, my story is I was adopted as a as a child. Uh, it's an absolute blessing to be adopted by the parents that I was adopted by. Uh, my birth parents were both far too young to support and, and walk forward with the child, so um, praise the Lord, instead of the alternatives, they decided to, uh, to send me off to a, an amazing, amazing, loving family. And, uh, and I, I was raised in a very good household, um, my parents brought me up in a church, and uh, things were absolutely incredible. Uh, things did get rocky towards my senior year of high school. My parents ended up getting divorced. Uh, my dad was absolutely crushed. My brother and I went and lived with my father. my sister lived with my mother, and after the divorce, my dad just shut down. He was still there, but he also wasn 't there you know he wasn 't emotionally available and and really just kind of went into a, a state of depression, kind of trying to to make sense of, of what his life was looking like from there on forward. And it was a really rough set of years for our entire family. Um, but it really, it, I mean, there were, I was 17, 18 years old, 19, 20, 21, 22, I I moved out of the house when I was 20 years old, and I I had these really formative years of my life that I I didn't have my father present to be able to walk me through things. To be able to hold me accountable to things, to be able to call me out on things and go, son, you shouldn't be sleeping with your girlfriend in high school, but... I also at the time was so lost and hidden that I was actually leveraging the, the brokenness of my family to start to hide the brokenness of my life and, and started building these systems in my life to where I can I kind of dart and, and weave and, and duck behind the, the barriers of brokenness in my, my family's life to be able to, to walk forward and I just didn't have a father to follow me through that time. And and I also want to say, I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, Anytime we talk about, I'm not trying to demonize my father by any means. I absolutely love my dad. He's an amazing, amazing dad. And uh, and Emily and I get to see him on a regular basis. We absolutely love him. Um, And we do not need to demonize our fathers to make the heavenly father look that much greater because he already looks that much greater. So I'm not trying to do that by any means. But it was a reality in my life to where I'd really lost out on my father. And then uh, just before I moved out, he lost his father, uh, which put him in that much more of a a depression because his father was a big uh, just rock and foundation for him to lean on in that time while he was going through things. But he didn't have the emotional capacity for me to lean on him, if all that makes sense. And I'm pretty sure it does because I think that story probably rings true with a fair amount of people in here. And I I continued growing on and continued making choices that were just ill-advised with nobody to really guide me, with a mentor here and there, but nobody to really challenge me at the core and really build me up into the man that I was called to be. Fast forward to uh, nine, 10 years ago when I uh, came to the Lord. And through various different parts over the last nine to 10 years, there's been so many different aspects of stepping into understanding the heart of the Father. And I I said all that to set up maybe another story that I hope to be able to get to here in a little bit. Um, But I also set that up to, to talk about how especially within the last couple of years, I've been really diving into the father aspect of God and truly wanting to understand that. I had an interesting experience last year. So like I said, I was adopted. I never really knew anything about my birth parents. And last year, through just some different circumstances, I happened to find out my birth father's name. And in uh, 2018 fashion, I said, hey, I could probably stalk him and see if I could find out (laughs) anything about him. Uh, So I did. I'm not proud to say it, but uh, I did. And I came across uh, who I, I don't know for sure if it's my birth father, but I came across a profile where the only picture that I was greeted with was a profile picture of a scowling, face pointing at the camera, um, probably in humor, but at the same time, <laughs> scowling nonetheless. And all throughout my childhood, I'd built these, these images, these pictures of, of who my birth father would be. I'd always watch those like those movies, what are the maybe what's the movie called where the, the girl finds out she's a princess? Sounds really strange. <laughs> Anybody, huh? Diaries. Princess Diaries? Is that what it is? Yeah. I would watch that and I'd like put myself in her shoes except for like prince diaries I guess it would be <laughs> prince journal yeah <laughs> and I was like I was like maybe someday I'm going to find out that I'm I'm like royalty you know maybe someday that uh you know when when My birth father realizes that he really wants to reconnect with me and I find out that he found out that he was royalty and then now he has like castles and kingdoms and and then he like sends me a letter with a like, probably hand delivered by a guy on a horse, because that's what kings do. And I had these pictures that I was building and honing and polishing and all these different things throughout my childhood, and then to come to what could be my, my birth father on the scowling face of disapprovement. It, it shook me to the core. It was actually a Thursday, and I, was, I found out because I was, I was uh, doing lunch. Emily and I were both doing lunch with my mom, and uh, she brought up a, a story that kind of revealed it. So it was at lunch, after lunch, Emily and I went back to my office, and I just broke down crying. Because I I didn't realize how desperately I was looking for a father. And I had realized it, but I hadn't realized it. Not to that depth. And I I can confidently say in here that every single individual in this room tonight, uh, I would nearly say that you probably all have the same desire and may not have even realized it. And that's why I suggest once again that we come to this topic fresh and new to be able to see what God wants to actually do. And, and through the course of the last um, year, I don't even know necessarily what time it was last year, I forget what it was, but over the last year, I've, I've just really in my personal time with the Lord pressed into going, Papa, I wanna know you further as father, I want you to father me. I want you to to correct me, to lead me, to guide me in a way that I, I've never had in the past. And I started to to just find joy even in, it sounds weird, find joy in even the corrections in here, right? The, the rebukes, I would almost like leap for joy because I'm like, I've never been corrected in that way. I, interestingly, uh, this last year, uh, earlier this year for Father's Day. I, so if you don't know me, I'm Nick Mayo. Nice to meet you. Uh, I don't have any kids, um, but I, I lead our discipleship program here at the the church and I get to walk with our amazing, amazing students. And then I've worked with Access for years and years. I was uh, six or seven years with Access. And um, through those years, I've mentored young men and Walked with young men, and I still do today, and it's such a joy to be able to step in and, to a certain degree, be able to offer to, to the students and to the young guys that I mentor a little bit of that, that father heart that I never got. And this year for Father's Day, I got uh, either five or six texts from some of the guys that I lead that said, happy spiritual Father's Day, and thank you for challenging me because I've never been challenged in that way before. And as much as that like as much as like I find delight in that, I also grieve at that. Because we truly live in, in a fatherless time where so many people, even if your your parent is present, they're also not present all at the same time. Is this making sense? I wanna, I'm going to come back. I just realized I haven't even touched my notes yet. So uh, I'm going to come back to a, a story that happened earlier this year to where uh, I had an amazing, amazing aspect. And it's just these incredible things to where the Father's heart starts to touch, you know, individuals' lives through the life of other individuals. And I, I had an instance like that earlier this year that I, I really would love to, to share with you guys. But... I do want to say that it's just unfortunate on how fatherless our our nation and our time and our culture has become. And I was thinking it this morning, I was trying to remember, I remember seeing it was either a commercial or something to that degree, but I was thinking about how so much of our generation has been fathered by Google more than by their fathers, right? I, I know that that was actually a truth for me. I learned how to make scrambled eggs from a YouTube video uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> and I still make it the way that I learned. It, like literally the lady taught me, uh, to, to crack the eggs for any of the guys, any of the bachelor guys here that don't know how to make scrambled eggs. I'm about to school you. And then Caleb back here can teach you how to make real gourmet ones. But so you crack the eggs and you just get like a, a cup from your kitchen and you put like two or three eggs in there and then you put a little bit of water in there and then you just like, you whisk it up with like a fork, cause the guys that she was trying to equip in this probably don't have a whisk or know what a whisk is, so she's like, and then you grab a fork and you just stir it around. She doesn't say whisk, because I wouldn't have known what it was. Stir it around in there, and then you just pour it on a warm pan, and then, it was, and then you just scoop it around, and boom. All I ate for like two years was scrambled eggs. <laughs> and then I learned how to make mac and cheese, and it was amazing. So many options. George MacDonald says the hardest gladdest thing in the world is to cry father from a full heart. The refusal to look up to God as our father is one of is the one central wrong in the whole human affair, the inability, the one central misery. It's literally just the gladdest Thing to be able to scream out Father. But most of us, even though we're in the church, we don't always look up to Father to be able to scream out Father because we're so hurt and wounded by fathers here that it's added a, a giant chasm Not from God's perspective, he's here waiting for us, looking for us to just reach out and and accept his warm embrace. But from our perspective, there's a, a chasm that has been made because of the wounds that we've taken on from our earthly fathers, no matter how good they have been. And again, this is not to demonize uh, earthly fathers. It's just that no earthly father can ever be the perfection of God the Father. And even if we had an amazing, amazing, strong relationship with our earthly father, we still need the connection with God the Father. He needs to be able to father us. John four sixteen says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I know that Pastor Jake shared this last week, but I was still thinking through this whole thing this morning. There's two different revelations here. There's the way and the destination. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way. And we hear that so much, so much, so much that it's so ingrained to us. And we go, yes, Jesus is the way. And he says, no one comes to the, what? Father except through me. I was right there, Jake said this last week and I was right there with him. I read that all the time is no one gets to go to heaven except through me. The destination that Jesus brought us was not heaven. The destination that Jesus brought us was the heart of the Father. The beautiful thing is the reality that the Father lives in is heaven, so we get heaven with it. But heaven's not the destination. Heaven without the Father would be hell. Heaven's not the destination. The heart of the Father is the destination. Okay. John seven or uh, yeah, John seventeen three says, "And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent." The Passion Translation says, eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God. I would even say that you you can honestly say this. Eternal life means to know and experience you as my Father. And to know and experience Jesus Christ as the Son whom you have sent. Everything that Jesus did came to reveal the Father. And typically we talk about that in a bunch of different ways. But I want to specifically talk about that from the aspect of Jesus is is literally the bridging gap to where he's pulling us in and delivering our hand into the hand of the Father. This is the most beautiful picture of all scripture. Is that Jesus came and rescued us into a relationship with him. At the same time, when we understand this, we can move forward as I did for many, many years, thinking that Jesus was the one that expressed the grace of God to reconnect us with the heart of God, but God had his wrath and and that Jesus came as the graceful one and God still had his back turned until Jesus made the introduction. Anybody else ever have that kind of feeling? That's not what It says, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. It was God so loved the world. Jesus obviously loves the world. But God was right there with him, wanting the relationship with us, coming down with Jesus and meeting us face to face. It's not God so was aggravated with the world until Jesus brought you to him and then he turned and said, okay, Jesus takes the wrath and you get the love. God had love for his children the entire way through. I read a book some years ago, and this really isn't in my notes, so uh, <laughs> uh, I read a book some years ago called The Blood and the Glory by a, a lady named Billy Brim. And she was talking about the uh, Adam and Eve account. I talk about it all the time. But she, she brought into a, a, a new idea into my mind that I this is the point where I started realizing, wow, God the Father is truly loving, was truly chasing down creation since the fall, since the beginning of time. And she starts introducing the concept that when Adam and Eve fell, it wasn't so much that God was mad. In fact, a better way of saying it is when Adam and Eve fell, he was probably heartbroken because the, the thing that happened in the garden when Adam and Eve took the fruit, Called the original sin, and they ate, they disconnected themselves to the heart of the Father. And in them they have raised and elevated them up so they themselves were their own God. Okay? The issue is, is God Himself cannot be in the presence with something else that's claiming to be God and not consume it. Another way of saying that is something that isn't holy and blameless cannot be in the presence of a holy and blameless God or be in the embrace, we could say, in the embrace of a holy and blameless God without being consumed because our God is an all-consuming fire. So when Adam and Eve fell, God's heart was want- to want to run over and embrace them but he knew he couldn't in that moment because him embracing them would have been the very thing to destroy them. And if you put yourself in a father's position and you imagine your child falling off of a bike and, and scraping their leg and, and just crying out for you and, and just you know, put yourself in that kind of picture to understand the, the heart of the father in that moment of wanting to be able to go over or crying out and not even knowing to cry for you. Right? Adam and Eve's eyes were so perverted at that point that they didn't even know to turn to the Father. They hid from the Father. And imagine that as a father, seeing your kid, your child hide from you. It's in God's very nature. God is love. It's in his very nature to want the best for the thing, the, the, the person that his affection is towards, and that's always been us. He's chased us down. Okay? Okay? Is making sense? I just, I want to give that picture because it, otherwise if we think that God's disappointed or that we have to appro- like earn his approval in all these different areas and I, I suggest that you go search that out, you know? Don't take any of these words as, as absolute truth unless you could find it in Scripture. But I promise you, promise you, promise you that when you look through Scripture, you're going to see the heart of a father, especially when Jesus Christ came to reveal him as the heart of the Father. He came to, came to show us that God was not upset and and, and turned his back on us that he was there waiting like the prodigal son, the father of the prodigal son, waiting for us to come back to our right sense to be holy and blameless through the blood of Christ to be able to reconnect with his heart. He's been longing to have a relationship, to have a father-child relationship with you since he knitted you in your mother's womb. Since he, he foreknew you at the beginning of time. He's wanted to have this intimate, deep relationship with you. I have been way off my notes, so... (laughs) Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by the Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He has also created the worlds. He's showing us two different ways that God speaks. And has spoke to us. there is one through the prophets, and the prophets were speaking in a way that was revealing certain areas of God, but then he says, "Then the other was through the son who came to reveal the Father." The prophets revealed God to be a certain way. The son came, not not revealing him to be any different, but to give a better representation and a better unveiling of what his children actually get to commune with. Jesus says, I came to reveal the father. That means up until that point, if the father had been revealed, why would Jesus have had to come and reveal him? Jesus came as the representation of God, revealing the heart of the father and giving us a completely... uh, uh, Improved way of understanding who God the Father is. So anytime we see Jesus, we see the heart of the Father, but it doesn't end there. We see Jesus as the heart of the Father to lead us back to the heart of the Father. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our destination is always to come to the Father. How many of you guys have ever heard of the orphan spirit? Couple of you, okay. So, what happened when Adam and Eve, going back to the original sin, when Adam and Eve disconnected, they stepped into what we would call an orphan spirit. They're moving about fatherless and operating in all their ways, not having the love. Affection, identity, comfort, correction, all these different things from God the Father. They essentially, what I explained within my my 19, 20, 21-year-old years, they, they stepped into a greater expression of that. They were in the absolute expression of absolutely disconnecting with the Father and walking about fatherless. And it started the orphan spirit. Jesus came to redeem us from the orphan spirit and to connect us into adopted sonship. But what comes with the orphan spirit? I was in my office today just kind of jotting down a, a few different things. Orphans in the orphan spirit, people who are operating within the orphan, orphan spirit consistently search for acceptance and belonging. Just for whatever reason, they can never feel like they belong They never feel like they're accepted. They root their identity in their possessions, their abilities, their physical appearance. They can't seem to feel at home anywhere they go. They come into a community and they could see everyone else feeling really at home and tight-knit, but they always feel like an outcast. I don't have a home, a place to call home. They don't have a place where they can feel secure. They feel like a failure or they're always striving towards success. They're in constant competition with others or are intimidated by the success of others. They feel like they need to earn love and affection from people, especially father figures. They fall into narcissistic, self-indulging tendencies. And they cannot submit to healthy authority. It's not an entire list. That's just a couple that came to mind earlier today. But really, so much of the the fallen nature, and, and I would even almost say the entire area of the fallen nature, in fact, I think that's a very easy statement to make, can be rooted within the idea that they were without a father. That they were then orphans in moving about without the love, the affection, the protection, the security, the influence, the modeling lifestyle, the integrity, the identity of a father. And I want to say that if any of those things that I just rattled off kind of hit home with you, there's hope. There's hope. It's not to to get scared of going, oh man, I'm an orphan spirit or anything like that. And and somebody could be completely saved on their way to heaven, right? And still operate within the orphan spirit. It's not challenging your salvation, but it means that there are other things that have been left on the table available for you that you just need to reach out and receive from the heart of the Father. That's a beautiful hope. Orphans are operating from a place of self-preservation. When I didn't have a father in my life to, to really walk me through things, I ended up having to figure my way out through life. And I, everything within me had to self-preserve or to, to leverage relationships around me to try and fit those needs. But the relationships around me weren't father figures and and I just started destroying relationship after relationship after relationship. Or would fall into unhealthy dynamics within relationships because now we're both trying to meet each other's needs versus being absolutely plugged into the Father, filled with his love, and then being able to pour out on the rest of the world. The orphan spirit. First John 3, 1 says, see what love the Father has given us? That we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Romans 8:15 says, "For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back in fear. Orphans operate out of fear. But you have received a spirit of adoption, when we cry, "Abba, Father." Go back to the the George MacDonald quote that I read earlier, "The hardest, gladdest thing in the world is to cry, "Father." from a full heart. We have been restored to fatherhood. You have been, you have received the spirit of adoption. The spirit, the orphan spirit, I totally lost the word for a second. The orphan spirit has been replaced by a spirit of adoption. It's a very quiet audience. I don't know if you guys are, is this Good. It continues on after it says, and we cry out, Abba, Father, it continues to go on to say that we are co-heirs with Christ. We've we've not only been adopted into the family, but we've literally been adopted into the, the wealth that Jesus as the eldest in the family has access to, the inheritance that came to Christ we now are partakers of, and he's actually grafted us in. We're we're both called adopted, but then we're also said that we have a new birth, and it's actually, it's a a greater reality than the adopted reality that I have on, on earth, because there's only so many things that I can take from my adopted father here. Part of the the character and and likeness of my my father gets established in me, but within the kingdom, when we are in that new birth and we have the spirit of adoption come upon us, we have the fullness of the kingdom deposited in us, as Ephesians tells us. It's an absolute brilliant picture of the absolute perfect adoption and the absolute perfect expression of love. Where God would pull us in and ravish us, shower us, shower us with just the, the, the beauty of his glorious riches. And that's poetic language for saying that we get the fullness of him. Because what's in, what's in the kingdom of heaven? It's all the fullness of God. Right, when we talk about the substance of heaven, uh, if we could even say it that way, it's, just, it's all the expressive nature of who God is. And the beautiful thing is, too, our earthly fathers don't have the capacity in them to be able to spend every waking moment with us, yet at the same time, God the Father is omnipresent and can spend every moment with every one of his children. It's the greatest love story ever written. It's also the greatest love story ever lived when we step into the writing. To just read it and to hear it at a, at a service is, is one thing, but it can still leave us having the head knowledge, having made the declaration of, yes, I receive Christ. I receive him as the way, the truth, and the life, but still moving forward with an orphan spirit because we haven't realized the fullness that that receiving actually gave us access to. Some of us are still moving forward thinking that we have to gain the approval of God the Father, but we already got his approval when he sent his son to pay for us. I want to jump over uh, to a story to kind of wrap us up, and then I'm going to give us four results that come from knowing the Father. The beautiful thing is they, they all cover that whole list that we gave for the, the spirit of orphan. Uh, it completely covers it and demolishes it, and it's a reality that each and every one of you, each and every one of us can step into tonight by just going, Papa, I want to know you. Abba, I want to know you. The word Abba there is, is the equivalent of what we would call Papa or Daddy. It's an intimate term. I I never grew up. My my family, we we showed emotion, but <clears throat> we never really. I never called my mom like Mama or my dad Daddy. It, it, I always called them Mom and Dad. You know, it just it would feel weird for me to call them you know, when I was younger, daddy. It just wasn't something that they introduced to us. And, and when I came across this, it was so strange for me at first because I was so uncomfortable with it. I felt like it was a, a toddler or something crying out, daddy? Like I'm, I'm a grown man crying out, daddy? And then I started doing it, and I started stepping into the relationship and started seeing a new level of vulnerability that was happening in me to where I could actually cry out, papa, daddy. I want to know you. Earlier this year, Emily and I went down to to Oklahoma and uh, Emily's father is is an amazing father. Um, John Blocker is his name and and he's a man that I absolutely love to pieces. He's my father-in-law and he's one of the greatest men of God that I've ever met in my life. And we were going down to Oklahoma. He grew up in Oklahoma. And as a bunch of, of siblings down there. And, and then all the other siblings that had moved out of state, you know, came in. And, and we went down there just for a, a family reunion. And it was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had in my life. Uh, to where, how many uncles are there? It's like, uncles. Huh? Not aunts. I'm specifically talking. Four or five uncles. Um. And and most of them were, were down there. Let's see here. There was f- five uncles down there because there's one like uncle-in-law or something. I don't know. Uh, step. I don't know how are you say. It? Um, but we went down there and, and the cool thing is is because there's there's so many people they rented like an Airbnb kind of thing and um, we were down there for three or four days and they schedule out the meals. So you get partnered with someone. Well, I'm new to that entire side of the family. I, I've never met anybody. So they, uh, they tell me on, on our way down there, they say, you're, you're scheduled with Uncle Kelly. You're gonna make food with Uncle Kelly. And I was like, awesome. I don't, I don't know Uncle Kelly. And they're like, no, you're gonna love him. He has a sense of humor. And, and one, of my, my, one of my love languages is sarcasm. And they're like, you're just gonna fit in perfect with them. And I get down there and, uh, and I meet Kelly. And he's, he's just this amazing, amazing guy. He, okay, so he makes this chili, or not chili, uh, salsa. With, he's from uh, New Mexico? New Mexico. And he takes all the hottest peppers that you can get in New Mexico, and then he, he puts them in a food processor, processes them to like this, this paste, and then puts it in the freezer, so then you have like a frozen paste food puck. And then... And then <laughs> And then he breaks a piece of that off and then puts it in the, the um, salsa, and it's just crazy hot. And everyone's like, this salsa is like uneatable. It melts spoons, and I'm hearing all these things about this salsa, and I'm like, yes, because I love hot stuff. And then Emily used to think like black pepper was hot, you know, but she's she, because she loves me so much, and she knows how much I love hot stuff, she has trained herself, like, through, like, I don't know. I think she just sometimes eats jalapenos just to train herself like an Olympian. No, she doesn't do that. But, <laughs> but she could do jalapenos and all these different things just fine. But the salsa was amazing. has nothing to do with the story except for that's just part of Uncle Kelly. Uh, so uh, we get, and we're supposed to be doing dinner the, the second day that we're out there, the third day, one of those. and And he goes, he goes, well, I was planning on smoking some ribs. What, uh, what are you planning on? And I was like, I, I didn't come down here planning on anything. I said, I've never smoked ribs. He goes, well, I'm teaching you how to smoke ribs. And, and he's like, be here by, because we, we were staying at a, a different place because that house was full. So uh, he goes, be here by like eight in the morning. I was like, sweet, sign me up. So I get there. And, and if you could put up the color photo first. Yes, so this is Uncle Kelly right here in the Hawaiian shirt. He's just living life, and actually behind the the grill there, he looks like he's on fire. He's not on fire. He's okay. That's my father-in-law, uh, John. Absolutely amazing. Um, but this is we're, this is actually we got to the chicken part. So this is later in the day, but we started off in the the morning and we just went through. And he's the the smoker that we had wasn't like well equipped for the way that Uncle Kelly likes to smoke his, his ribs. So he goes, well, I'm going to teach you how to improvise. And he, we're going through and we're building like a, a aluminum foil, like wall and stuff. And it was the coolest thing. So we're doing all this. I've never smoked ribs or anything like that. And he's just shown me the way all throughout the day. And we're just sitting there because we have to watch the ribs. So everyone else is off and visiting grandma and different things like that. And it's just Uncle Kelly and I, for most of the day, just kind of sitting, talking. Uh, he taught me a lot of things. He said that a, a man with a sharp knife is worth a dollar an hour more. Um. <laughs> it's good life lessons, but see, <laughs> I'm not making fun of him. I love this guy to, to absolute pieces. And and so we go through this whole process and he's just showing me and we gets to a point where he's like, all right, he has like all these different exotic woods that he brought up. And he's like, yeah, so this is like hickory from the Himalayans or something. I don't know. And he's like, yeah, it'll give, and he's like, all right, now you choose the thing. And he's like training and equipping me up. And I'm, I'm 30, I'm 32 years old and I've never smoked ribs. And I'm like being taught how to barbecue something. And it just kind of felt a little weird, but at the same time it felt so right. I was being fathered in a way that I, I had never been fathered before. Just spending an entire day. This is uncle James putting on some some uh, He stole our grill. He had to make some corn on the cob, so we let him. It was okay. All right, next photo. That's, uh, that's Uncle uh, David. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm terrible with names. Uncle David. They're all, I pulled out a bunch of pictures of Uncle Kelly. They just happen to have all these other uncles. I thought I deleted that one, but what's the next one? Uh, and then there's John over to the right. That's my father-in-law. Um, then that Uncle Thomas is the one bent down in the cooler, and then Uncle David in the back scratching his beard he 's a very contemplative man, uh, absolutely he literally he looks like Bob Ross, Uncle David does he seriously does i was sitting there like i 'm pretty sure this is bob ross <laughs> bob ross didn 't die he just came out to Oklahoma <laughs> and he 's an artist, like it just makes sense, still very much a hippie um, <laughs> just and and they 're all awesome and the cool thing was i I got to a point so we got to a point to where the ribs were all done and, and everything like that, and I think it was the same day, maybe it wasn 't um, but one of the days that we were out there, we went off to uh, uncle thomas 's farm and and a couple of them had brought out some pretty sweet guns and and so Uncle Kelly also collects like World War One and World War two like uh, military vehicles, so he literally just has a fleet of military vehicles. He's just one of these guys. Like, <laughs> he's one of these guys that if if anything ever goes down, you want him on your side. I'm just saying. He was like, he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I ever have to buy ammo ever again. I'm pretty sure I'm set for the rest. And it's just amazing. So he pulls out this this Colt like revolver, and it's like this, and it's like full stock and it's got, it's got a full barrel. It doesn't have the knurls in it. So he's like, this thing is gonna, it's gonna weigh and it's gonna kick. So I'm like picking it up. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and they set up this, this target kind of across the way. And uh, the first one I, I tried was this little like nine millimeter, which once you see the Colt, you're like, come on. But I couldn't hit anything with it. I felt like a stormtrooper. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> There's this, like, target that had, like, a metal thing that if you hit it, it kind of spun. So uh, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I pull up the, the Colt, and it's a double, double action revolver, so you got to cock it back a little bit. And then I hit it, and it kicks back, and I miss. And he goes, all right, now, Nick, you want to, you wanna, with this one, you want to aim just a little bit lower. He you goes, know, just drop it down, like, just a little bit, I promise you. So I was like, okay. And I, I, I hit it. And Uncle Kelly goes, Nick, that a boy. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so then I was like, yes. And I, I go back and it hurt, I'm not lying. <laughs> oh, thank you. I feel so edified. So I go back in, and I aim, I point it just a little bit lower, pink, got it again! And now my father-in-law is standing there, and he's like, "Whoa, Nick, didn't know you had it in you!" And I'm like, "Yeah!" And it was just amazing. And then we had a cousin there that couldn't hit nothing, and I just felt like the man. Um, and, and it was, it was just absolutely incredible. And I. This is after last year's experience of, of finding uh, you know what could be my birth father again I, I'm not 100% sure you know how sure can you be when you're facebook stalking um, and just seeing the different ways that when I started crying out to God as father it started diving into the aspects in the depth of his heart and started not treating my my prayer time as a laundry list or a, a task list to bring to him of things that I'm hoping that he's going to do, but I actually start plugging into his heart and start getting to know him as father. He started pulling people into my life that would father me as well. started having other other conversations with with mentors in my life, and it's so interesting that when I learn how to be fathered by God, I start to open up to being fathered by other people, and uh, and Oklahoma is just a, a first fruits of the relationship that God has in store moving forward, and I know that to be true. And and it's absolutely incredible. I was thinking about it so much of the way home. It's like a 14 hour trip home, and I'm sitting there talking to my my father in law. We're in the front seat, so this is the most time. This is the most time in one time that I've ever like talked to my father in law. Um, when you're stuck in a car for 14 hours, it just makes for a really good conversation. And I was just thinking about the the different ways that God had met my heart. When I was out there, the different conversations that I was having with my, my father in law, the conversations that I had with Uncle David, with Uncle Kelly, with Uncle Thomas, just these different uncles that stepped in as, as men of God to really pour into my life in a way that, that I'd never experienced before, at least to that degree. Again, my, my father is an amazing man, but he just didn't have the emotional capacity. Or the wherewithal to to know to walk me through these things. And I really felt like the the Oklahoma journey this year was like a a coming to age kind of thing. As weird as it sounds as a 32 year old to say that, uh, it, it was just absolutely incredible to be reintroduced to the heart of a father. Four results that come from knowing the father. First is a sense of personal identity. All throughout the Bible, we see time and time and time again to where, to where individuals are introduced to us through their lineage. And it's almost as if they were defined by their father. And again, we can hear that from an orphan spirit and think, I don't want to be defined by my father but that's not what that's about. The identity that we get is from being birthed, the new birth into the kingdom, from being adopted as sons and and co-heirs with Christ. We get to actually step into our identity Sometimes I, I, I realize this this morning. Sometimes I look at Jesus and I go, yes, I know that God wants me to be to look like Jesus, but if if we have especially unhealthy relationships with our, our siblings, you know, unhealthy dynamics that we've been wounded at and in, in different things like this, and when we hear the whole son in and child language, we can almost start to think like in some people in here, you may have unfortunately had a parent that said, I, "I just, why can't you be more like your sibling?" And I realized this morning that sometimes when we talk about this, it's it's all about being like Christ. It's all about looking like Christ. It's all about this. It could sometimes come off as as kind of a am I like? I just feel like you're you're just saying that I'm not good enough. That here I am again, hearing, I just wish you were more like so-and-so. And all of a sudden, we could start to take on a, a unpleased parent perspective of God again. And that's not what it's about at all. He wants us to be more like Christ because Christ was the only one to have ever plugged in fully to him in his heart as a father. Christ is the only one to have ever walked as fully son and fully son of God. The reason why he wants us to be more like Christ is because he wants us to step further into a relationship with him. And in that, we find the perfection that he has to offer us. And we become looking more like Christ. And the world needs more like Christ. Does this make sense? So we find a sense of personal identity. Second, we find a home in heaven. Again, I said heaven is not the destination God's heart is the destination, but praise the Lord that heaven comes with it. What makes heaven so magnificent is truly the heart of God. If the heart of God wasn't on display in heaven, it would not be heaven. Derek Prince says, what makes a home a home is a father. Have you ever stopped to think just how excited God is that you're going to be in all of eternity with Him? That He's literally rejoicing right now at the fact that you're going to be with Him for all of eternity, whatever that looks like. My mind can't fathom that. But at the same time, God the Father is there. Nick, that a boy, yes, and he's so excited that we're gonna be sharing all of eternity with him because it's his amazing house, it's his amazing home that he wants us to be so fully engulfed in. He's so delighted that you're gonna be in heaven with him for all eternity. Third, we get total security. John 10, 29 says, My father, who has given them to me, is greater and mightier than all, and no one is able to snatch them who's them? You, me, all of us. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Just absolutely love that picture. Fourth is a motivation for serving and a selfless heart. John 8:29, this is Jesus talking, says, "And the one who sent me, speaking of the Father is with me, he has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. I just think that's so interesting that Jesus models, I always do what is pleasing to him. And again, from an orphan spirit, we can hear Jesus saying, I always do what I know will get his, his you know, affirmation, his approval. That's not what he's saying. He already received the affirmation and the approval. Now he's getting to do things to the pleasure of God. He gets to do things so that way God would delight in the things that he's doing, not to seek approval. I remember one time my my father gave me uh, $20 to go get gas. And and I went down to get gas, and at the gas station I thought about it. I was like, you know what, Dad did an amazing thing. I feel really like love from this act from him. I'm going to get him a Pepsi. My dad loves Pepsi. So I was like, I'm going to get him a Pepsi. And I bought the Pepsi with the money that he gave me. <laughs> and, and I go back. And, and when I get back, it was just down the road. I give him the Pepsi. And he was just like, he was so pleased. He was so delighted in it. And I'm like, it was your money. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but it was the fact that I had already found the approval. He had already, he had already given me the inheritance, so to speak. Now I was doing something just to the pleasure of my father. And how much, how how just satisfying it is to, to realize that I can do things that God delights in and I'm no longer trying to earn my way into his approval. close your eyes I fully believe that that papa's doing something in here tonight in such a big way As I was praying earlier I just felt I, I just felt this sense that the the uh, orphan spirit were like scales over people's eyes and hearts and that literally those scales are falling off tonight. Father, I fully believe that your revelation of your, your heart, your goodness, your faithfulness, your love is on full display. I, I, again, it was weird for me at first. I'm going to lead you into prayer, and I want to use specifically the, the language of Papa or Daddy. You can choose one of the two, but I want you to use that kind of childlike nature, vulnerability and intimacy within your language. And say, Papa. Say it out loud. Papa, I want to know you. Papa, would you give me a heart to know you? Would you give me a heart to seek you out? I pray that this week when you go into your time of prayer, and if you don't make that a regular practice, I I, I really do encourage that you do so. Prayer is so, so beautiful. It's a heart connection with the heart of the Father. I pray that when you you go into this week and when you go into your prayer time, that you would catch yourself when you're bringing your list of things that you want to get answers on. And you would shift your focus over to to just experiencing and, and receiving his heart. In the expression of his heart, in the expression of the love of God is the fulfillment of all the other things that we need. He is our provider. He is our comforter. He is our healer. All those things come within the expression of his heart. So I pray that this week, Holy Spirit will guide you in your personal prayer time to, to push past the, the list of to-dos, the, the grocery list, the whatever you want to call it, and get straight to the heart of the Father to be able to experience it. Holy Spirit, would you enlighten and illumine. Uh, Illuminate the, the scriptures this week as, as each of us go into your word, God, that you would just reveal your heart to us. God, that we wouldn't help but to see all the scriptures that just point to your glorious love, your heart. You're chasing us down. That we would receive it. We choose to put off the orphan spirit and we choose to take on the spirit of adoption realizing that the riches of your kingdom, the fullness of your heart, love, and glory is fully available for us. We don't need to earn it. All we need to do is seek it. So God, we seek it. Father, we love you. We love you. We praise you. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.